Thank you for tuning in to CIO Speaks with host Mark Teeley. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out the other episodes in this series and go to gigaohm.com for more research and insights. Thanks for tuning in to CIO Speaks. I'm Mark Teeley, and today my guest is Bill Doherty of Amada Health. Hi, Bill. Thanks again for joining me on this podcast. Um, it's great to be here. And as you are CIO for Omada Health, is that correct? Uh, VP of IT and security and support and jack of all trades for Omada Health. Wow. That is jack of all trades. Um, a, a couple of titles in there that uh, struggle to find the same head in uh, most organizations these days. So what, um, what's top of mind for you, uh, uh, you know, in your role at Omada Health? Well, um, uh, we're having a lot of fun right now because we are growing like a weed. Um, we are expanding rapidly this year, bringing on lots of new customers and helping lots of new participants. We recently just passed a couple of big milestones for us. The first one being um, that we have now enrolled over 250,000 people in our digital health care program. That's awesome. And and not too long after that, we recorded our 50 millionth weight value. So one of the aspects of our program um, is pe- we have connected scales that, that people will weigh in on. Um, that's one of the, the health values we track. And we now have 50 million weights in our database, which is pretty cool. It gives us one of the largest behavioral health data sets in the world. That's really amazing, and and what you've just talked about will probably align well with um, some of the information we shared before this, as far as some of the questions are concerned. So thank you for that. Uh, but it's an exciting space, and and lots of opportunity in it still. Thank you. And before we get into the rest of the geek, geek stuff, um, what what uh, what gets Bill excited when he's not in the office? <laughs> it's a it's a great question. Um, I happen to love my job, so I do a lot of work even when I'm not in the office. But when I'm not working, I'm taking pictures. Uh, oh, nice. I've been a photographer for, well, since before I was in high school. And I, on any given week, I shoot a couple thousand photos, lots of my daughter, and then lots of landscapes and other things. Awesome. Awesome. Well, one of these days, you're going to have to show me some of your work. Uh, happy to show it to you anytime. Anyone can see it at WLD1.net. There you go. There you go. Well, plug for the side gig. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you know, so thinking about what, what you're doing with uh, Omada right now and, and thinking about the, the, you know, the term of um, digital transformation, digital disruption, whatever, I, I prefer to call it business transformation and not that it's it's critical one way or the other, but I feel like we've all been doing business or digital transformation for 50 years of IT delivery, and, and now is really the time to try to match um, business function capability with with the best that IT can offer into business transformation. And you know, thinking about that from a healthcare standpoint, it just even as an interested observer, it seems like there's lots of opportunity. Um, what do you see as some of the biggest areas of opportunity for you guys? As, uh, as you do this, it, it's amazing. It's why I joined Omada. Is um, healthcare is ripe for innovation and is ripe for disruption, and there are a few companies out there that are doing a great job of it. 
Um, so the, the foundation for our company was actually a study the CDC put together many years ago uh, around how to prevent type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is a largely preventable disease. Mm-hmm. Um, we know what causes it, it, you know, being overweight and inactive yep. and eating poorly. These things um, elevate your risk factors exponentially. And they did a study to 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 compare the best drugs on the market with intensive behavioral counseling. And it turns out that intensive behavioral counseling is really what is most effective. You get people to eat better, exercise more, uh, reduce stress, lose weight, get some sleep, and their risk factors come way down. The trouble with intensive behavioral counseling as it was done originally, it was all in person. Well, there's a hundred million people in the country that are um, at risk for type two diabetes, roughly there aren't enough coaches to go around. So yeah, even if you could, even if you could grab all 100 million people, there there aren't enough professionals to help them. But this is a problem that technology can solve. And so through the use of iPhone and Android apps, through the use of connected devices and digital coaches, you can meet people where they are in their life and give them the tools necessary to to live better. And if you do that, you, they, a, they have much better life. They get healthier, um, for their employers and for their health plans, it plummets their, their health related risk. So everybody wins. Um, so that's kind of what we do at Omada. And then we've gone beyond just the simple prevention of type two diabetes to other, uh, related diseases, but it's, we're seeing this throughout the healthcare landscape that there's these old, true, stable business models that are just begging for digital disruption. But in order to do that, you have to do it in a very um, methodical, careful way because now you're dealing with people's most sensitive data. There's far little that you have about yourself that is more sensitive than your health data. And yeah. so you're dealing with lots of federal and state rules around the processing and storage and access to that data. Um, so it, it's just a really exciting time to be in this space. Uh, I had never been in healthcare before I joined and, um, and I love what we're doing. Uh, it's amazing stuff. And, and just to um, kind of highlight a little bit of that. I mean, it, when I think about what you just talked about and I think about business transformation, um, so much of what I would assume to be kind of the fundamental opportunities of business transformation are built into the service you guys are building and delivering. And that's really creating a better customer experience and a, and a better customer experience can be measured a lot of different ways, but my God, I mean, if a better customer experience is actually that they live a healthier life at the same time as they feel better about the relationship they have with their providers, uh, that seems like a major win-win all the way around. Oh, exactly. And it, it's so measurable that we then went a step further and uh, one of the first providers out there to develop um, outcomes-based billing. So people join our program. We want them to get healthier. We only bill for the people that are successful in the program. Yep. So, and so our motivation is 100% aligned with the participant's motivation and with the person paying the bill, either their employer or their health plan. Everybody wants them to get healthier. Everybody is incentivized to it. So, so we are able to kind of transform from the typical 
doctor patient every time you show up you get a bill to oh now i only get a bill if i got made healthier right right that's that's um that's pretty cool that's really cool yeah well so um first of all congratulations i think it's an exciting space to be and and um i've even made reference to healthcare in a couple of talks i've done recently um even even simple things like just helping to remove um uh, delay, confusion, and stress from the life of a customer of of the healthcare system, I think, is an enormous win. So, hats off to what you guys are doing. I think that's fantastic. Um, you. So, you know, putting putting the CIO hat relative to what you're doing, um, what do you see as you know? Or first, let me back up a little bit. Do you see the CIO or the or a role similar to the one you're in right now as being in a great position to lead? Um, at least from a technology standpoint, if not even from a process and opportunity standpoint for projects like this? Uh, absolutely. So, so I see it as a critical role in organizations for a, the CIO to look at kind of key business processes, key challenges throughout the organization, and figure out how to apply current and future technologies to those. And we, we try to do that every day. Yeah, that's fantastic. So you, as, as a, um, uh, it leader, uh, what, what are some of the things that you might've done differently or that you, you could even argue that you lucked into, if that makes sense, um, that made this process, um, uh, more successful for you at Omada? Oh, I, I lucked into a lot of stuff cause I inherited, a pretty good organization, a pretty good company. Um, one of the things that was different at Omada from previous organizations I'd been at is Omada is a cloud-first and SaaS-first company. So for our core product, which my engineering team runs, um, that is all AWS. That is all, it was born in the cloud, lives in the cloud. Everything is cloud. Um, for the portfolio of our internal IT systems that I run, Almost 100% of that is SaaS. I think I own two physical servers. And what that does is it changes the role of the IT leader from being someone who manages lots of infrastructure to being someone who manages lots of vendors. Um, It changes the trust relationships. We now have these very complicated four and five and six-way trust relationships that we could talk about endlessly. Um, But it also gives me lots of flexibility in terms of how I bring new solutions to the company for complex business problems, because I'm not just restricted by what are the, what are the solutions I have in place? What's the infrastructure I've already built? I try to keep abreast of what's new and different and exciting out in the marketplace of all this wonderful innovation that's in the SaaS community and can very quickly pivot to a new solution if it makes sense within the context of our business. Uh, that's fascinating and, and, and outstanding. And so would you also argue that, um, and this is the part that might, you know, spin my beanie um, as much as what you've already talked about or more is, do you feel that putting yourself in this position gives you a better opportunity to, to be a business person with the rest of the business and less of a, of a wrencher that occasionally gets invited to business meetings? Uh, I would like to believe I've always been a business person. 
um, but it certainly helps and it, it changes the nature of the conversations um, because in, in past iterations, I would spend lots of time managing large capital budgets. I w- we would be talking about nine months to two years project cycles for, for large projects. Um, it was just, it, it was different. Um, I would say that I've, I've witnessed many organizations where the rest of the leaders, if they have to call IT, they groan yeah, because yeah. they just know if I'm inviting IT in the meeting, that means it's going to be difficult, costly, time consuming. Right. And, and right. the idea is to not make it difficult, not make it costly, not make it time consuming to make it easy, fast and cheap. But to do it within whatever the rules are of your organization. So within my organization, we're in healthcare. We have certain constraints on us. Some of those are bound by by HIPAA, by federal law or by state laws. And so we do certain things because we are bound by those constraints. But once people understand those constraints, within the the boxes you create, you can act really fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and and. Uh, I, I think you're, I mean, not, not that you need my opinion, but I would argue <laughs> that um, you're doing this the right way, Bill. So congratulations. Um, you know, if you, uh, considering that you would, you're freely admitting that you kind of lucked into a good organization and a company with the, with the motivation to do this the right way from the beginning, um, you must be able to think about what you have um, versus what others struggle with and, and have some advice for, Kind of uh, trying to trying to get to the model organization that you're talking about, one that is more about um, uh, you know doing things from a business perspective and less about um, you know ownership and um, and silos, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how do you how what kind of advice would you offer to a CIO who maybe has a an organization that's a little bit more legacy than yours? Yeah, I'd, I'd say two things. One, be willing to let go of some control. And the other is be willing to write off sunk costs. Yeah. Um, and and the, the second one's pretty easy to understand. You, you've got investments you've made. Um, those investments now are an anchor that uh, at some point you need to move away from them, even if it's costly, because it's going to cost you more in the future. But the the first one is kind of the bigger point, which is be willing to let go of some control. We have a very democratized IT organization at Omada, by which I mean that the individual business owners and business groups, for the most part, select their solutions and oftentimes manage those solutions, but they do it within a framework that, that we have created. And so we actually have what I'd say we, four categories of IT Um, We have generalized IT, and generalized IT applies to the whole company, like our email system, that is owned, operated, managed 100% by my organization. We then have departmental IT. So a a good example of that would be a collaboration tool that just designers use. And there's five or six power users, and they're the only ones who need that tool. Well, they go through me to get access to that tool. Uh, we integrate it with our single sign-on. We manage the contract and the spend, but they administrate it on a day-to-day basis, and they track the new features. And if they want to change to a different one, they're, they're the ones that control that. 
Um, the third category is similar to that departmental IT, but it's, it's stuff that is connected into production. So we have some departmental apps that have no access to any production quality data of our core product. And then we have others that share data. Uh, a good example of that would, I'm fairly public about the fact that I use Zendesk. I've done a case study with them. We use Zendesk for operational support. We use it for all kinds of fun, fun stuff. And we also integrate it directly into our core products. So it is sending and receiving protected health information. So those applications, um, I may run it or the department leader may run it, but there's a much higher requirement of of governance because now we, we are connecting it into the keys to the kingdom, which is production. And then the last thing is production itself. And that our, our head of engineering runs that. And that's the core product. That's how we deliver our, our system. So you think about that in the context of any general IT organization, you've got all four of those are important. If any one of them isn't working right, you're having a bad day at your organization. But there's only one category that I control 100%, and that is the generalized IT that kind of everybody uses. Everything else, I've democratized it out, and which means I, I have given up some control, but I've maintained control over the things that we, we need to maintain control over. Budgeting, terms and conditions, price negotiations, integration to, to single sign-on. But beyond that, I don't need to care about if they've added a designer or removed a designer or turned a feature on and off in that departmental app. It doesn't impact my life. They can, they can make, use the app any way they want and can make better decisions for them than I will ever make for them. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. Um, wow. You know, I, go ahead. Sorry. I just gave you a lot to unpack there. You did. I mean, I, I'm trying to swallow it all. I mean, that's uh, just, it's fascinating yeah. stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to just come in and spend some time oh. with you, you know, because we don't catch up enough. Um, but well, and, you know, and part of the problem we're trying to solve is we yeah. don't want rogue IT. So yeah, everybody, yeah. Gets, people who get afraid of SaaS, it's because they don't want rogue IT. They don't want stuff hanging out there that they don't have any visibility to. And partly because I'm in a regulated space and therefore I have the big stick that comes with that. Um, and partly because of coordination between my finance team and my legal team and my compliance team and myself. We've, we had some rogue IT when I first got here, we've wrangled it all in and we've said, it, if you go rogue, bad things will happen. If you don't go rogue, we will offload some of the burden off of you. We will handle your renewals. We will make sure their money is in the budget. We will make sure it's integrated with our other tools. Therefore, the business leaders are incentivized to work with us rather than go around us. Right, right. And so it's, it's uh, while, while some could... Um, uh, assume that when you say rogue IT, you're talking about all shadow IT. You're not yeah. actually. What you're talking about really is 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 that um, if someone is going to buy an application or use an application that wasn't originally funded out of the central IT budget, that's one thing. But it's another thing to be doing that without being able to apply any of the controls that protect the business or ensure the investment is successful long term. Is that correct? 
Yeah. So what we're yep. trying to do is we, we don't want shadow IT. We don't want anything in the dark. Yep. Do it out. Do it out in the open. Tell us what, what it is you're trying to do. Let us help you. Yep. So we, we created a lightweight process that lets people onboard vendors quickly. It, it makes sure my legal team's happy with the terms and conditions. We pretty rarely just accept click through conditions. We, we make sure we know how it's going to bill so that it doesn't get turned off because it was on some employee's credit card and they left. Yep. We, we make sure it matches all of our document retention requirements and our treatment of protected health information requirements. All of that gets handled in this framework, but still lets the business owners choose the tools they want, have a lot of control over their day-to-day usage. Uh, it, it's kind of the best situation I've seen for, for dealing with shadow IT or rogue IT. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. I, and I think it's the best way to go. I've argued um, off and on, not specifically about rogue IT, but rather about the risks of, um, of creating a, an environment where uh, people aren't talking to each other. Um, because the risk today, if the risk was bad when people were installing um, uh, small databases and creating their own web pages back in the 90s on PCs in the marketing <laughs> group or something, if it was bad then, it's, it's theoretically way worse now. The amount of data, the amount of, um, of, uh, of company that could be given away by accident or cost that could be given away by accident with today's um, availability of SaaS tools means that a lack of visibility is a real risk for the company. So I, I, think, I think what you're doing is, um, is outstanding. So hats off to you. Thank you. And so, you know, we, we, we talked for a little while about transformation and, and how it relates to the healthcare industry and how, um, how IT in, in, a, in, a, in what might be argued a kind of a model way could be operated. Um, uh, I want to take us to a wholly different discussion now, sort of, uh, about edge computing. And you and I shared a couple of comments uh, via LinkedIn recently where, um, to be honest, I'm not positive we both um, disagreed with each other, although that's <laughs> fine if we did. Um, but maybe it was um, context. And so, you know, from your perspective, you know, talking about edge, uh, I, I, of course, am, am well known as being a, a vocal um, uh, um, stumper for the potential opportunity of, of the edge marketplace. And, um, you know, we talked, so we started talking a little bit about edge as it relates to data centers specifically, you know, what's your perspective uh, on the opportunity versus the hype of edge. And, and let's, you know, when, when you talk about the data center market, I'll give you a couple of feeders and, and you can pick and choose from those or come up with something else. But like when you think about companies that are out there um, building specifically building um, technologies that are meant to populate an edge that doesn't actually have buyers standing in line to buy yet, at least not visibly. Um, you know, what do you think about that? And, 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 and what do you think is, um, is likely to happen there? Yeah. I, so it, it's funny cause somehow I've become the edge contrarian on LinkedIn and, <laughs> and, and I did a webinar on the edge where with, with uh, a data center guy who was building edge data centers. And I, I was saying, I thought his business model was way overhyped. So I, I think the potential for the edge d- depends on how it is you define what the edge is. And specifically what I'm referring to is people building co-location data centers in tertiary markets. Mm-hmm. And you and I have both been data center people. And I had yeah. a data, you know, a nice big campus in Sacramento as well as in Ashburn and D- Dallas. Um, 
um, I'm pretty familiar with the colo industry. And I have long said that I think that the, the, there's a more hype than reality in terms of the demand for edge data centers, which is very different than the demand for edge computing. I think that there are absolute workloads where edge compute makes sense, but for those workloads, I don't think it's going into a colo. I think it's going into the device. Yeah. Um, and for the, the, the theory behind doing an edge data center is latency, it, right. you know, it, so round trip time really, really matters. And to me, most applications that isn't actually true for if you've properly coded your application and for the applications where it is true, you're going to want the, the calc done on the device anyway. So if you think about, you know, everyone likes to talk about self-driving cars, self-driving cars need 5G and they need, they need edge data centers. Well, what they actually need is for the car to make decisions without the packet ever leaving the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same is true for lots of applications. Um, I, I've also been saying that I think the enterprise data center is dying and that everything's going to move over time to large centralized data centers, either wholesale colo or public cloud, things like that. But again, where that breaks down is where you need large amounts of edge processing power, such as let's say you've got a very large factory and you're making real, your robots making real time decisions in there. I think you need edge compute, but I think you're gonna put it on premises. Because if you're latency sensitive, either you need it sub millisecond or you can withstand the round trip time to one of the major markets. Right. I, I don't see the in-between where um, I, I can't tolerate, I don't need sub millisecond, but I can't tolerate 20 milliseconds. I've got to be in two. And therefore, if my, my factory is in Nashville, I need a, a data center in Nashville. Right. Um, I could be wrong. But, but I think that market is way overhyped, and it's not, certainly not where I'd be placing my bets. I'd be placing my bets and did place my bets on major markets, and we all right. know what they are. We, you know, right. Ashburn and yep. Northern California and um, Dallas, Virginia, Chicago, places like that. And the only reason I was in Sacramento rather than the rest of the Bay Area really was was cost it cost an earthquake risk and i and i actually thought it was worth the extra two milliseconds of latency for people to drive the earthquake risk down to zero compared to the bay area right right no and, and there are actually a lot of what you said um that i would outright agree with and and some of it that i might um debate a little but more um more on uh you know perception of what the market could be versus something that um, I could say I could write in stone and know for a fact that it would happen, right? And those are, you know, very different things. Um, so when you think about, uh, and, and frankly, you know, one of your last points about the, the factory with the data center versus a factory with on-prem, I tend to agree with that because when I think of edge computing, I don't think of, um, I generally don't lump um, on-prem computing with edge computing. And if, if that were the case, then then every company that ha- has its own data center has edge computing for that campus that that data center is on, right? Right. And, and, and so I don't, I don't lump those two together. And I, I think you were doing the same thing, not lumping them together. Um, and, but I do agree that if, if I have a factory or I have three or four locations for a factory, 
it doesn't make sense necessarily for me to worry about trying to figure out an application that is geo-distributed and that I could install on a lamppost or I could install in, in a CVS back room that's been purposed as a, as a data center um, or in you know, somebody's one megawatt uh, colo somewhere. Uh, I've got three or four locations, five locations. It probably makes sense for me to put that rack of gear or half a rack of gear, whatever it is that I need, right there next to the equipment. Um, and so, you know, from you could call that edge if you want, but realistically, it's on-prem IT for that function in that uh, discrete and, environment, right? Yeah, and, and I actually was essentially calling that edge. Yeah. And, and my my greater point there is. If you think about how that company operated 10 years ago, 10 years ago, the next to that factory, they had a big data center footprint because in addition to the real-time control systems and the monitoring systems and the SCADA systems, they also had their ERP and their email and their file server. They had everything. Yep, yep. My, my real point is what's going to happen is you take all the stuff that isn't latency sensitive and you get it out of there because your cost of realty is too expensive you don't want to manage it. You, you put it in the colo, someplace central. Anything that's not latency sensitive, get it off your books. Yeah. And then that valuable factory real estate, you use it just for the applications that have to be there. And you make that footprint as small as necessary to run the, the factory and no more. Right. Right. And to me, that is no different than you know putting 10 servers in a rack in a factory is the same as putting a computer into a smart car. You've right. you've put you've, your computational power next to the use that requires super low latency, but you move everything else out. Yep, yep. No, and, and, that, and, would, and so in that case, I'm yeah. calling that edge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and and that's fine, and that's fine. I mean, the the truth is is that um, there are still uh, many definitions to be made and many perspectives to be captured relative to what the the quote-unquote edge marketplace might become or the different um, aspects of edge might develop into. Uh, and um, I'm, I, as much as I spend a lot of time in it, I'm not going to sit here and say I am the oracle who knows <laughs> all the answers. Um, so I, I think this is a good perspective, and, and I appreciate that. So thank you. Um, and, you know, before we've, we've come pretty close to 30 minutes already, but I'd love to just get, um, you know, if you've got a minute or so, um, tell me a little bit about, what you see as uh, some of the companies that you're you've looked at or heard about that you think might win or fail in this space, um, in the edge space specifically. Yeah, you, yeah, and you could specific you could you could be specific to you know data center or data center products if you want, or some other app delivery model or whatever it is that you feel most comfortable with. And it's funny. I I think that the CDNs keep winning. I think that. Amazon and um, Azure and to a lesser extent GCP win. Um, I think the large wholesale colos, so the the deal, digital realties, Equinix, my old alma mater, Raging Wire, uh, Switch. I think those companies win. I think the tertiary data centers are will lose or they'll just get bought up. Yeah. Um, and and I've been wrong before and will probably be wrong again, but that's <laughs> kind of how I see it is I see the industry continues to consolidate the data centers uh, at Colos that 
most of them are REITs. So it's a straight up commercial real estate play and yep. things like cap rate matters. Yep. And it lends itself to consolidation, um, especially in a, when interest rates start rising and cost of capital starts rising. Yep. yep. Um, I think for most people, you know, Amazon's got enough distribution to deal with most people's latency needs. Um, so that's kind of just where I see the market going, but that's also from the perspective I'm in now. And I think three years ago, if you had asked me, I might've had a different answer because I was at Raging Wire and had a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, I think that's a, I think that's a healthy perspective. And, and, um, while, uh, I might, um, put up some suggestions for, um, some alternatives here and there. Uh, I, again, uh, I'm, I'm asking for your opinion on this, <laughs> on this webcast and I got it and I appreciate that. And, um, I am not going to sit here and say that, uh, I believe, uh, anyone else is wrong so much as, um, we have, you know, diff slightly different perspective on how the future might play out. And, uh, I appreciate both your experience and your, um, well thought out words in this space. So, uh, I just want to say, uh, Bill, it's great catching up with you again. Thank you very much for setting aside some time to join me. And uh, I hope well, we can find some time in the not too dear, distant future to get together over a, a coffee or a beer or something. Uh, it's my pleasure. I, I love talking about this stuff. I love sharing ideas. I love having people in the comments and things tell me where I'm wrong, improve my thought processes, because um, I think we're all kind of finding our way in this transformative moment together and you know the only way we're going to do that is by sharing the best ideas and weeding out the bad ones absolutely yeah uh, being open to the fact that a different opinion might actually be as good or better than the one you formed yourself absolutely and I, I, I face that every day so <laughs> awesome well bill again thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your evening and and uh, we'll talk soon thanks mark all right take care if you enjoyed this episode of CIO Speaks, please check out the other episodes in this series. Optimizing network interconnection in the changing cloud landscape is the focus of a new report called Connecting Clouds that Steve wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how IT leaders and organizations are overcoming challenges in the evolving cloud era, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.